Today we begin uh, a new teaching series on the awesome chapter in the New Testament of Romans 8. Today, Romans 8 on living free from verses 1 to 4. So you can get your Bible and uh, open up to that New Testament letter of, of Romans. Uh, this chapter has been on my radar for some time uh, for a message series. And then uh, a few months ago, within the, within the space of about 10 days, I had two people uh, say to me, oh, this chapter, Romans 8, would be such a great message series. So thank you to you. You know who you are. Um, as your pastor, I, I ask you, I urge you to, throughout this eight-week series, to intentionally open your heart and mind to this powerful chapter, taking God's Word into our heart and mind and, and committing to align our life with it is, is foundational to us experiencing uh, God's power in our life and, and His uh, life change that he has in mind for us. So as we begin this series, let's right now just pause uh, and pray together and express our desire, uh, each one of us, for God to strengthen us in, in, uh, in our relationship with him and change us and, uh, through this teaching series. Father, that is our prayer, that's our desire. We, right now, at the beginning of this eight-week series, commit to open our hearts and minds to your truth from your word, which is ultimate truth. And we thank you for that, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm reading from the New King James Version uh, for today's teaching, Romans 8, 1 to 4. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The passage begins, as you heard, with there is therefore now no condemnation. I'm sure you're aware that whenever we read this word, therefore, in scripture or any literature, uh, it's an indicator that there's something in this passage that is a, a logical outflow or, or, or that logically flows from the preceding passage. And so here that means going back, obviously, to read or reread, Romans 7, which you can do on your own, but in a nutshell, the last 12 verses of Romans 7 talk about the, the, the struggle that we experience sometimes of, of living as God wants us to live as Christ followers. Key, key verses, chapter 7, uh, verse 24 and 25 from Paul, he says from his own experience, he puts it this way, what a wretched man I am. I mean, that's pretty graphic. But he was being honest about the, uh, the impact of sin in his own life. Uh, that's got to be encouraging to us. He goes on to say, Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Obviously as a result of sin. But then he gets to verse 25 and he says, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus Christ our Lord. He's saying that unless I allow God to rescue me, I'm, I'm done. 
I'm on my way to uh, eternal separation from God. <laughs> and so this therefore in verse one of chapter eight is very important. Several years ago, a man in our Eaglemont family um, emailed me this. He said, thank you for the comments you shared about paying attention in a particular message I spoke, uh, to paying attention to the small choices we make each day as they ultimately determine the direction of our lives. He wrote, I purchased the book, No More Excuses, Be the Man, uh, Be the Man God Made You to Be by Tony Evans and Bill McCartney several months ago, but did not read it. I was led to chapter seven today. I'm sure not by coincidence. It's a great breakdown of Romans chapter seven, filling in the therefore of Romans 8.1. I really liked the following quote where Evans talks about overcoming temptation and addiction and compares God's grace to the law of aerodynamics and sin to gravity. Here's the quote from the book this man shared with me. But if you'll get moving with the Holy Spirit at the right speed, the law of grace will overrule the law of sin and lift you high so you can be victorious in Christ Jesus. I want to fly. How about you? The author asks. Sounds like a book that some of you men may, may want to read. So verse one, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You, you see, when we, are, when we are in Christ, in relationship with him, in vibrant, dynamic uh, community and relationship with Christ, living to, to honor God with his spirit's power, uh, guiding our passions, our desires, our choices, then we do not walk according to the flesh, but we walk according to the Spirit, capital S, Spirit of God. And there's no better, there's no better way to live. Many of you know that. And if you've been a Christ follower for any length of time, you've likely spent some time in both of those zones. Here's just a brief comment about the phrase that we see in, in the New King James Version, that is, uh, the last phrase of verse 1 where it says, not, uh, we do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. You won't see that specific phrase in most other translations of Scripture, actually, and, and no cause for alarm in this at all, but it, it's simply because the oldest New Testament manuscripts don't actually contain that phrase in this particular place. but this minor difference between the various translations does not change the essence of this passage. Uh, if you have a New King James Version, you'll see a footnote that says, N-U, capital N, capital U, omits. And, and that phrase there. Uh, N-U is just a reference to the two earliest uh, manuscript sources. But again, the main point of this passage is not changed at all. The passage assumes that the believer who has been uh, freed from sin's grasp is then empowered to walk according to the Spirit and thus will not live under condemnation, which, which every, every translation makes abundantly clear. And so those who walk according to the Spirit are those who are in Christ, as verse one says. Two, two phrases that describe the same thing. And we'll see this phrase uh, actually in verse four of chapter eight in a moment. So no condemnation. Think about that. I love the sound of that. No condemnation. A terrible sentence. But when we live with no condemnation, the, the, the terrible 
sentence of God's judgment has been removed from us and we become beneficiaries of God's forgiveness. No condemnation. What a place to live. Now, a word to those of you who find it all too easy to beat yourself up. Even after you've asked for and received, and you know up here, you know that you've received God's forgiveness, but you still beat yourself up over that sinful thought, word, or action. And, and we're not talking about being careless with sin as a habit here. That's a, that's a different conversation. But some of you especially need to hear this. Biblically, it's clear that if condemnation as an objective reality has been removed, then there's no legitimate place for condemnation to be your subjective experience. By us continuing to hold on to uh, feeling guilty, what, are we trying to help God? deliver forgiveness and help God with our eternal salvation? <laughs> that would be, be works-oriented righteousness, actually, which flies in the face of God's grace shown to us in Christ and flies in the face of New Testament teaching. Here's an important, <coughs> excuse me, here, an, an important part of this conversation. We must not confuse godly conviction with condemnation that comes from our spiritual enemy, Satan, who is real. Conviction, here it is. Conviction is a necessary work of the Spirit of God intended to draw us to the place of repentance and thus back to, to unbroken intimacy with God. Condemnation is a lie of Satan who wants us to feel like there's just no way that God will forgive us. Big difference. Conviction also comes from the loving promptings of the Holy Spirit, whom we do grieve when we sin, of course. Condemnation comes from the devil who tries to make us isolate ourselves in our failure, in our shame. Satan, he will do anything he can to drive a wedge between you and God, between you and the body of Christ even. Revelation 12.10 calls him an accuser. He's an accuser, and you've likely heard those accusing whispers that, that, that bring you down. Conviction also is hope-giving because we know that on the other side of repentance is complete forgiveness and joy. Condemnation, however, removes hope from our heart and causes us to be, to be stuck in feelings of shame. Big difference between those two words. Conviction and condemnation. And the enemy, the, again, the enemy of our souls, Satan, says, remember your past failures. That's what he says. Re remember that? And he holds it. He shakes it in your face. But God says, huh, remember, I've forgotten. I've forgotten your past failures that you've confessed to me. I mean, whose voice do you want to listen to? It's a choice. If you listen to your spiritual enemy, there's Definitely condemnation. But if you listen to God's voice about this, there's, there's no condemnation because there's freedom in his forgiveness. What a gift. It's the freedom that comes to us when we have the 1 John 1, 9 experience that says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just or completely fair to forgive us our sins 
and to cleanse us from, it says there, all unrighteousness. Genuine confession like that is the, is the doorway to the, to the no condemnation way of living and to no regrets. I, I mean, we all have at least some regrets, but, but the good news of the gospel is that the grace and forgiveness of Jesus cleanses the sin and then also protects our, our heart and mind from regrets crushing weight. You do not have to live under that weight, my Christian friend. The no condemnation life of the believer, living in Christ and under Christ and under his grace, not only deals with the regret, but it also means many other great things for us. And here's, here's a partial list. It, it also means that we are justified, put in right standing with God. It means that we are alive to God. It means that we're redeemed. In other words, God paid a big price to make us his own. It means we're possessors of eternal life. We're free from the law of sin and death. We're sanctified, not perfect, but, but growing in our character is all that means. We're new creations, again, not perfect, but certainly made new, the Bible says. We're recipients of grace. We're secure in death. We're true children of God. We're brought near to God. We're forgiven by God. We're at peace with our Creator. We're promised eternal life. We're saved eternally, and the list goes on. There's a scripture verse with each one of those and, and other items on that, on that list. Let me know if you want that. You can email me, marlo, M-A-R-L-O, at eaglemontchurch.ca. And none of these blessings that I just outlined very quickly in this list could, none of these blessings could be ours if we were under God's condemnation. But being in Christ means that we're made free from all that previously blocked our way to these blessings that God wants to give us. BibleGateway.com, BibleGateway.com, a search there in the New King James Version, anyway, uh, of this phrase, in Christ, 90 times in Paul's, uh, 9-0, 90 times in Paul's New Testament letters, it appears. It's, it's obvious that God wants us to, to understand all that we possess, all that is of eternal value that is ours when we are in Christ. Then verse 2. Verse 2 drives home the message of, uh, of, of freedom. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, the word law here really could be replaced with the word principle, probably more precisely, uh, as opposed to thinking of this as the Old Testament law. It's not the case here in this verse. Paul is is pointing out that there are two principles at work. The principle of life in Christ that supersedes the principle of sin and death. And so the just penalty incurred by our sin was paid by the death of Christ. And, and now for all those who are in Christ, the, the, the unfavorable verdict of eternal death and separation from God has been removed and, and we become beneficiaries again. There's that word of God's gifts of forgiveness, freedom, and eternal life. That's, that's tremendous news. And maybe for some of you engaging today, that's new news. This offer is for you, and you can ask God for it in this very moment. And your life has changed, not, not made perfect with no problems, no, but your eternity is 
changed because you know in that, in that moment of expressed faith in God to receive his forgiveness that you're with him forever and ever. What a great thing. When we compare these amazing truths in chapter 8 of the, the freedom that we have because of what Christ has done for us, when we, when we compare that with the repressive power of sin described in chapter 7, it seems strange that both could be operative in the same person. And yet, experience teaches us that every attempt to live the Christian life on our own strength and apart from the power and enablement of the Spirit of God, ends in defeat. And we've all had those times, no doubt, in our, in our Christian walk when that's been the case for us. Chapter 8 reminds us that that doesn't have to be the way it is. And then verse 3, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, Jesus came, took on human form so that he could identify with our struggle. Because there was sin is why he came. And he was the only one who could deal with it. And so previously in verse 2, I mentioned that the word law is better understood as principle. But here in verse, uh, sorry, I, I, I think I said verse 3. Uh, previously in verse 2, if I didn't say that earlier, uh, I, I mentioned that the word law is better understood as principle. But here in verse 3, it is a reference to the Old Testament law because the New Testament makes it clear that the, the Old Testament law could not accomplish what needed to be done in our sinful nature. We, we cannot overcome our, our sinful nature by gritting our teeth and trying to gut it out, you know, gut out adherence to the Old Testament law. No way. And so God, the, the Father, God the Father sent God the Son on a mission to accomplish what the Old Testament law could never do. And in sending Christ, yes, God the Father shows his incredible love for us, but in sending Christ, he also shows his immense hatred for sin, in that the pure Son of God was made sin for us. That's, that's beyond our comprehension, I think, but it's, it's, it's astounding. So that the just punishment for sin, the, 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 the totally justifiable punishment for our sin, which was death, that was put, that was put on Christ in, instead of being put upon us. Same author Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, who knew no sin, because he's God, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. And that's important because entrance into heaven requires God-like righteousness. And I don't have that. And I can't attain that or work for that uh, on my own strength. I, and neither can you. But we can receive his righteousness given as a gift to us by our expressed faith in him and our expression that, that that's, what we, that's what we want. And that prayer, that expression to God, is heard by him, and that immediately, as you surrender and repent of your sin and turn to God and, and, and ask him to be the forgiver and leader of your life, in that moment, immediately, you're made fit for entrance into God's eternal presence. It's just, just mind-boggling, mind phenomenal. 
In the last part of verse 3, uh, in the New Living Translation, it's written this way, And in that body, the human body that God the Son took on, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his Son as a sacrifice for our sins. Doesn't that sound great? The end. We're living that partially, and someday in heaven we'll know that completely and fully and in an uninterrupted way. But he came to end sin's control in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Phenomenal again. Another way to say it is that Christ credits us with his own righteous standing before God the Father, the, the perfect judge of the universe. And so when we accept Christ's work on the cross and, and accept him and surrender to him, he allows us to exchange our sin for his righteousness. And, and, and thus we receive freedom to live now as he intends us to live. We receive freedom from sin's control and, and freedom from his judgment so that we can live with him eternally. And as a result, our Christian experience described in verse 4 that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who, there's, there's, here comes this phrase again, who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit or those who truly are in Christ as verse 1 in this passage Stress. There's that, that phrase again, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And Paul isn't using the word flesh here in the same way that we might say, uh, you know, flesh and blood. Uh, no, the, the word is a reference to a state of being and living that is outside of Christ and apart from Christ. It's a reference to living in, a, in living in uh, the, the sinful nature that we're born with. It's a word that speaks of our, our vulnerability to and our propensity to sin, which has been passed on from generation to generation ever since our first human parents turned their back on God and, and, and did their own thing because they thought they knew better. Here's the last part of verse 4, again, in the New Life version. I like it. We do not do what our sinful old selves tell us to do anymore. Now we do what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. Romans 8, on living free. That right there is the true desire of every genuine Christ follower. Now, we have our times of stumbling and, and all of us struggle with this in, in growing in our Christ-like character, of course. I want you to give your attention to someone in our church family who has been and is, who, who has been so, so transparent uh, and, and is willing to, to be honest about all of this for the encouragement and the strengthening of others. Jason, share with us. Walking in the flesh is simply that. It's an action and responding to what the flesh wants. Treating the knowledge i.e. head knowledge, that Christ died for our sins like a cheap get-out-of-jail-free card. That's not freedom. That's a defensive position and a defeated posture because you are giving away the power that God has for you to your flesh and sin, rather than the one who truly saves, still allowing both sin and flesh to be your master. 
and keeping you in a position where your flesh will continue to make mistakes because you think you can't do any better. Contrast that to living in the Spirit. Living. Think about that. Living is a posture. It's a position. It's a base of operation. It's an identity that fuels everything you do. Taking what we know to be true in our heads and moving it down to our hearts. So that God becomes our heart posture. And the beauty of it all is you don't have to think of what to do or how to do that. The Holy Spirit does that for you. Let him in to counsel you, teach you, walk with you, transform you. All you have to do is listen to him, not your flesh. He will always give you a way out of sin. Choose him and let him show you what truly living was meant to be like. He has the blueprints and the plan. From there, with the heart strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit, the character of Jesus can start to radiate out from the heart and become heart knowledge. And go the other way, back up to your mind, where you will experience renewal just like the scriptures tell us. The desires of the flesh start to fade away as you focus on Jesus and have an intimate relationship with him. And you really walk out his plans for you. That is the power God has for you. That is the difference in living in the spirit versus walking in the flesh. I heard Paul Washer in a video clip recently say this. You say, I've sinned. I can't run to God. You've sinned? You must run to, to God. And, and do it quickly before he reaches you because he's already started running your direction. And then he adds this comment, I'm so glad that my salvation does not depend on the most spiritual nanosecond I've ever had because it would not be enough to save me eternally or to keep me close to him. His work on the cross? That'll do it. That'll do it. I urge you to surrender to Christ if you have not yet done so. Christ followers, I, I implore you to, 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 to press into God and, and allow him to fill you with his spirit and his power to live in a way that honors him and inspires others and turns others' hearts and, and focus to the God you know and love. There's a QR code that you'll see. And if you have never surrendered your life to Christ. He loves you so much. God loves you so much. He sent his son to step into your place of justifiable punishment for sin that we all have. And if you would today look God's direction and say, I, I, I want to know you. I want to live for you. I, I turn from my old way of life. I turn from my sin and I want to I, I know you in the personal and eternal way that you say I can that's why he sent Christ. And declare to him your desire to have him be the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life. He loves you most and knows you best. Why wouldn't you do that? What, what, what would keep you from stepping across that line of faith today? And if you do that, uh, scan that QR code and, and let us know that you made that decision today. And we just want to Come alongside and, and, and help you as you put down roots in your new relationship with God. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Help us as those of us who are Christ followers to live 
truly, daily, moment by moment, in Christ. Not according to the flesh that is often such a, such a draw, but, but may we live by your power, by your enablement, according to the Spirit to honor you and inspire others with our lives. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great rest of the day.